Hello everyone, I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummis. What makes a great leader? Is it genetic or can you learn leadership skills? Join Tom Fox and Richard Lummis in this podcast, where they consider leadership from a wide variety of perspectives, academic, behavioral science, history, popular culture, the movies, and much more. You'll learn about specific tactics and strategies that you can bring to your own leadership toolkit. 12 O'Clock High is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, Richard Lummis and I begin a 10-part series focusing on some of the stories from Plutarch's lives. In this episode one, we compare and contrast Themistocles and Calamus. I know you'll enjoy this special series. Hello, this is Richard Lummis. I'm here with Tom Fox for another episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast about leadership. In these discussions, we draw what we hope are interesting examples from our own experiences, history, business, literature, and politics to examine what constitutes good leadership and extract lessons we can use to improve our own leadership skills. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you, Richard. Uh, Today, we're going to start a new series based on Plutarch's lives of the noble Grecians and Romans. Tom, tell us a little bit about this work, which I've always heard about but never read. Sure, Richard. Um, this uh, This is going to be a fascinating series. It's been fascinating researching the first few episodes. Uh, I have learned uh, more about ancient Roman history than uh, probably I've known in a long time. So I hope our listeners will enjoy it. But Plutarch's Lives is a series of biographies that Plutarch wrote, and he contrasted, compared and contrasted a Greek hero or person of note with a Roman. And we're going to take up 10 of these people. It's uh, in episode one today, we're going to take up the Mystocles and Calamus, Camillus, next Solon and Poplica, in episode three, Pericles and Fabius Maximus, episode four, Alcibiades and Coriolanus, episode five, Epaminondas and Scipio Africanus, episode six, Aristides and Cato the Elder, in episode seven, Agilius and Pompey, episode eight, Alexander and Julius Caesar, Episode 9, Demosthenes and Cicero. And in our concluding episode, episode 10, uh, Demetrius and Mark Anthony. In each episode, we will provide a short history of each person, some of Plutarch's thoughts on each, and then a comparison of their lives. And we'll conclude with some thoughts on uh, leadership lessons that might be relevant in the modern day. Richard, do you want to introduce this uh, Plutarch's lives as, as a historical work for us? Sure. Uh, Plutarch was was Greek. Uh, he was born about uh, 46 A.D. and uh, died sometime after 119. He was a uh, philosopher, historian, and biographer. Um, and he ended up his life actually as a priest of Apollo at, at Delphi for the last 30 years of his life. Um, the the lives. In in context is really sort of he, he lived during during the uh, Julio Claudian uh, Empire and so a lot of what he's doing is is a reference to contemporary Roman politics um, the reliance on some of the ancient Greeks for comparison I think is is sort of a a, a safety measure on his part. Um, but in any event, his main focus is with 
uh, character and um, and displaying how that affects uh, a man's life. And so they're not always strictly uh, biographies. They're, they frequently contain some asides and some uh, morality lectures on the part of, of Plutarch. But uh, it, it's a fascinating book. The, um, it consists of 23 paired biographies and four single ones. Um, and then he usually writes a comparison between the two, between the characters of the two uh, subjects. And what he did not do in this first one was uh, write that comparison or it has been lost. A number of the other lives have also been lost. Um, but anyway, we, we've selected what we think are some of the more interesting ones. Uh, today, uh, we're going to take up uh, one of the earlier ones, which is the Mystocles and Camelus. They were both... Um, Founders of uh, Rome, uh, excuse me, of the Greek democratic state and the Roman democratic state or the Roman Republic. I'm going to start off with uh, Themistocles. He was an Athenian politician in general. He was one of the new breed of non-aristocratic politicians who rose to prominence in the early years of the Athenian democracy. As a politician, Themistocles was a populist having support of lower-class Athens and generally being at odds with uh, Athenian nobility. And that this class dichotomy is something we'll see a little bit more than I had expected uh, throughout this series. He was elected archon in 493 BC. He convinced the polis to increase the naval power of Athens, a recurring theme in his political career and probably his greatest gift to the Athenian state. During the first Persian invasion of Greece, he fought at the Battle of Marathon, 490 BC, and possibly was one of the top or the ten Athenian generals in that battle. In the years after Marathon and in the run-up to the second Persian invasion, Themistocles became the most prominent politician in Athens. He continued to advocate for a strong Athenian navy, and in 483 BC, he persuaded the Athenians to build a fleet of 200 triremes. This proved crucial to the forthcoming conflict with Persia. During the second invasion, he effectively commanded the Greek allied navy at the battles of uh, Artemisium and Salamis in 480 BC. Due to a subterfuge, um, although I can't say it was much of a subterfuge because it was certainly tales told to Xerxes that he wanted to hear, the Allies successfully lured the Persian fleet into the Straits of Salamis, and they scored a decisive victory, perhaps one of the top ten most decisive victories in the Western world, which were the turning point of the war. The invasion conclusively was conclusively repulsed the following year after the Persian land defeat at the Battle of Plataea. After the conflict ended, Themistocles continued his pre preeminence among Athenian politicians. However, he aroused the hostility of Sparta by reordering or ordering the refortification of Athens, and his perceived arrogance began to alienate him from Athenians. In 472 or 471 BC, he was ostracized and went into exile in Argos. The Spartans now saw an opportunity to destroy Themistocles and implicated him in an alleged treasonous plot uh, uh, along with one of their own generals. 
Themistocles thus fled Greece. Alexander I of Macedon temporarily gave him sanctuary before he traveled to Asia Minor and, interestingly enough, entered the service of the Persian king Artaxerxes. He was made governor in Persia and lived there for the rest of his life. Themistocles died in 459 BC, and his reputation was posthumously rehabilitated, and he was reestablished as a hero of not only Athens, but the entire Pan-Greek, Greek, uh, Pan-Hellenic cause. Themistocles can be reasonably thought of as the man most instrumental in achieving the salvation of Greece from the Persian invasion threat, as Plutarch described him. His naval policies would have a lasting impact on Athens since maritime power became the cornerstone of the Athenian Empire in the Golden Age. Thucydides asserted Themistocles as a man who exhibited our most indubitable signs of genius. Indeed, in this particular uh, claim on our own admiration, he was quite extraordinary and unparalleled. Richard, what did you see in Calamus? Well, Calamus was a, a Roman soldier and statesman who lived approximately from 446 to 365 B.C. Um, interestingly enough, he was named dictator five different times and, cel- and celebrated four triumphs, but he was never elected consul. Um, Plutarch attributes that to uh, basically the envy and the political conditions in Rome at the time. Um, he first really came to prominence. He, he was a soldier in, in several wars and had become a military tribune, which was an office in the, uh, the early Republic. Um, but he first came to prominence with the a war against the rival Tuscan city called Bay, which the Romans had been besieging for 10 years um, without success. And so uh, Camillus was appointed dictator for the first time and managed to uh, undermine, well, they dug under the walls and came up in the, uh, in the temple complex of the city, uh, broke through that way and then slaughtered the entire adult population. Um, they took home a lot of plunder, um, and then, but then when he, on his return, there was, uh, the argument that the, they should repopulate it by sending half of Rome into the, uh, Camillus rendered himself very unpopular by fighting that. Um, but anyway, um, so he, he was ultimately, um, banished and then, uh, the Gauls invaded, and I had completely forgotten this, but uh, the Gauls actually sacked Rome in about 390 B.C. And so Camillus, who was in exile, was recalled, named dictator again, and defeated the, uh, defeated the Gauls and drove them out of Rome. Camillus uh, was then appointed dictator again when some of the Roman allies were, uh, revolted. Earned Camillus the the uh, name as the second founder of Rome was the uh, the people had been campaigning that one of the consuls should be drawn from the people rather than the patrician class, but instead uh, Camillus managed to broker a uh, a compromise by which the praetorship was created that was open to uh, both the people and the patricians while retaining the patricianship uh, requirement for for consulship. Uh, it is kind of interesting that uh, he was never elected uh, 
as consul, uh, given his uh, fame as the second founder. He died in the plague in, in 365. Um, I think our, our parallels here are, are interesting. Um, Camillus did not uh, have the same arrogance as Themistocles. Uh, he died honored rather than in exile. Um, Plutarch takes the view that Themistocles committed suicide because uh, Artaxerxes had commanded him to uh, command a fleet against the Athenians, and rather than fight his own people, he, he killed himself. There's a lot of debate about that, um, even including whether he committed suicide. Uh, one of the other things I think is interesting here is the, uh, we'll, we'll see it in some of the other ones, but the chronology seems to get a little confused in these, uh, in these sources. So, Tom, how would you compare uh, Themistocles with Camillus? Well, Richard, uh, first of all, um, Plutarch seems to me to be, to make clear, or at least in his portrayal, that Themistocles is almost the human caricature of Greek tragedy. And uh, in Greek tragedy, it's always hubris, uh, hubris which brings down uh, the uh, human, uh, contrasting that with the gods. Uh, and um, it was pretty clear uh, after um, sort of the defeat of the Persians in both uh, the Battle of Marathon and the first invasion, and then Salamis and Plataea in the second invasion, that Themistocles had, had clearly worn out his welcome. What I was not really uh, uh, aware of, though, was that it was not simply arrogance, but it was arrogance on behalf of the lower classes of Athens. So, um, for the polis or the plebs, the plebs, uh, whatever Orwellian term you might assign to uh, the non-aristocrats of Athens. And I think that the Mystocles rightfully leaned on the aristocrats to pay for the, the Navy that he advocated. But I think they got a little tired of that and they got tired of the rabble rousing he was uh, doing on behalf of the lower classes. And once again, this was a, a theme throughout uh, Plutarch that I uh, either had forgotten or, or really had never focused on in my study of both ancient Rome and Greek. But um, really, it was hubris and, and ambition which caused his downfall and that uh, the irony of ironies that uh, he ends up uh, working for the uh, under the grandson of Xerxes or the son of Xerxes, Artaxerxes, uh, because he has to move in exile. Uh, Calamus, um, the comparison between the two, I might uh, say is, a, is more of a contrast than a comparison, Richard. He certainly does not uh, suffer the same fall uh, as Themistocles, at least during his lifetime. Once again, I, I admit I was not as familiar with this character from uh, a personage from Roman history as some of the others, but the thing that struck me about both of them, though, Richard, was that um, in in war, uh, we need certain types of men to step forward. Now, in the modern day that we've been able to divide the political from the military, so World War II, I guess, would be the best example of Franklin Roosevelt and then um, the U.S. Army 
uh, led by George Marshall, <clears throat> as, as splitting those duties. But I don't think the ancients had that luxury. You had to be both a great military commander, have basically unvarnished bravery because you were leading the troops on the battlefield, and you had to be a politician. So those men were, were pretty rare, and they were men, all men back then. Um, but the, the question left hanging to me, Richard, that I really wanted to pose to you is we certainly need these types of men in war, but do we need them as much in peace? And that's really what I wanted to pose to you. Men of the character of Themistocles, um, I, I think you're right, are specifically warriors. Uh, Plutarch makes an effort to cast Camillus in the sort of the Cincinnatus role as as a reluctant soldier um, who who preferred the private life um, and had to be called to duty um, repeatedly, uh, being named dictator five times. So I think Plutarch is at pains to distinguish between the two and cast the Roman in this case as having the greater virtue um, being able to both excel in war and while still uh, despising it's a little strong, but um, but still not making it his his sole life work. I have to say I have studied studied Themistocles quite a bit, and his tactics at Salamis were brilliant. Um, they worked uh, really to a letter. It's one of the great naval battles of all time, indeed, perhaps one of the greatest battles, uh, at least in, in the Western world of all time. So I thought as uh, I hadn't fully appreciated his uh, um, appearance or his uh, participation in the Battle of Marathon, but for one Greek to have been involved in both, I think, really puts him in the pantheon of, of famous Greeks. And uh, with Calamus, here the contrast Richard I saw once again was around the class issue and mm -hmm. that um, Calamus really supported the aristocratic class, uh, even with a fairly rabble-roused polis, if I can use that phrase. Uh, so that was, uh, I thought, an interesting uh, contrast as well. And I guess maybe uh, if we could conclude this episode, Richard, by perhaps exploring uh, what, if anything, we can take from either Plutarch's thoughts or our comparisons of uh, these two men uh, for modern leadership lessons. You want to start on that one? There were several episodes from Camillus's career uh, that we really didn't have time to go into, but where he showed uh, great clemency to his rivals. Um, and they became very loyal followers of his. Um, so that was one aspect of his character. The exact contrary also happened. There was uh, a guy named Manlius who during the, uh, when the Gauls had, had seized Rome, he uh, defeated an attack on the, the uh, patricians who were at the time besieged in the capital and became a great hero and enemy of Camillus. Um, and Camillus eventually intrigued and had him uh, executed. Um, so, I think we saw two aspects of, of character, of leadership character there. One was the willingness to forgive in exchange for uh, loyalty, but the other one was absolute implacability in the face of uh, a 
of an existential threat. The lesson I, I saw was, uh, perhaps since I studied the Mysticles a little bit more, uh, more lessons uh, for the modern day um, business leader from Themistocles. One was, uh, and we really don't have a sense of this from Plutarch or really any of our sources, um, uh, Herodotus or Thucydides, is the persuasiveness of Themistocles as a speaker. Because Plutarch made clear that several at several points he persuaded a large number of people to follow him. That the first great persuasion, I think, was when he persuaded the Athenian people to fund 200 triremes. Because if they hadn't had those triremes, there never would have been a battle of Salamis, or rather, there would never been a Greek navy to protect uh, Athens. Uh, second was he um, used uh, deception um, to draw Xerxes into the Battle of Salamis. And he used that deception by sending a slave who told Xerxes that the Greeks were basically ready to roll over and submit to him, which Xerxes wanted to hear anyway, but it lured him into the trap that became the death, death knell of the Persian navy at Salamis. And even when he was exiled, uh, Themistocles was able to go to Macedon and eventually work for Artaxerxes. He must have had some persuasive power to persuade both the king uh, Alexander I of Macedon and Artaxerxes to, to basically hire him uh, <laughs> after having destroyed the Persian army and Persian navy. So um, I think we still see that words matter and uh, speech matters. That's certainly a theme we're going to explore throughout uh, this uh, series, particularly with the Greeks, I think, on oration. But uh, having sort of those skills, and maybe today those skills are, are in social media, but it points towards the communication skills that uh, I think we've talked about uh, literally throughout this podcast series on 12 O'Clock High, but also that it's something that the modern business leader uh, has to master as well. There was another episode from Themistocles' um, history that I'd like your opinion on. The, when he got the funding for the triremes, he was the only one who recognized that the threat was Persia. But rather than making that argument because the threat from Persia was so far off in the minds of most of the citizens, he argued that they needed to do it to defeat another city-state, which at the time had a much stronger navy than Athens. And so he was making the argument that his audience wanted to hear, while in fact having a much deeper purpose in mind. What, what did you think about that episode? I really thought that it, it spoke to, one, a strategic vision, and two, being able to execute on that vision uh, in the face of uh, others not really seeing or understanding your strategic vision. And if I can even throw in one further point, uh, Richard, um, when uh, before the Battle of Salamis, Athens had abandoned the city of Athens. And I think people who study history listening to this podcast will remember the, the sacking of Athens by the Persians. Well, th th this was the event. That's what led to it. But what uh, Themistocles did, he used part of that fleet to move the population of Athens uh, to Sicily. And then that was the start of the Sicilia colony of, of Greece, but also brought them back. So he had the foresight to evacuate the city uh, also as well. So uh, really, um, 
I've certainly always admired Themistocles uh, as a general, and, and now I admire him perhaps more as, uh, or equally as much as a politician, even if he did uh, befall uh, the standard Greek tragedy of hubris and uh, lack of humility going forward. I hope you all have enjoyed this uh, this podcast. I hope you're going to follow us with the rest of the series. Um, our next one will be a comparison of Poplicola the Roman with uh, Solon the Athenian. Uh, we hope you'll join us next time on 12 O'Clock High. For now, this is Richard Thomas and Tom Fox saying goodbye. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode one in our 10-part series on Plutarch's Lives. I hope you will join us again next week for episode two, where we compare and contrast Solon with Poplicola. 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.